Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie podcast here in Chico, California. My name is Max Minardi. And I'm Johan Samers. I feel like that would have been really appropriate last week for our Danish film, Another Round Review. Yeah, I just, I couldn't be <laughs> uh, too derivative and just mimicking. I had to wait a week yeah, before fair. I did a Dutch accent. Uh, this is episode 205 of this podcast. We put out episodes every Friday where we review new craft beers and new movies. You can find us on lots of cool places on the internet. Johnny will tell you some of our favorites. Uh, most importantly, uh, Apple Podcasts, because you can rate and review, and that helps people listen to us when they search for movies or beer. So rate and review us on there, uh, preferably with five stars. If you don't suck, that'd be cool. Yep. Uh, also, Instagram and Twitter, at Fresh Hop Cinema, Letterboxed and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com. Max will tell you what patreon.com slash Fresh Hop Cinema will do. Yeah, it's a way to keep this show rolling. If you got a few bucks that you want to throw our way, you get access to our bonus feed of all sorts of stuff that we do on the show. We... Uh, we just did a bonus review of a beer from a brewery out of Farmingdale, New York called Nightmare. It's a, a sour ale at 8.3% called Slow Slicing. So patrons, look for that in your feed uh, Sunday, the 31st of January. Our Patreon content goes back for years. And we haven't always been um, as put together as we are now. So if you want to find us looking a little bit goofy behind the scenes, telling funny stories about our lives, that kind of thing, uh, check it out. Yeah, patreon.com slash freshhopcinema. Uh, it takes a couple minutes to sign up. And it will cost you a couple bucks, but it will give us endless gratitude and appreciation. Uh, and it helps keep the show going. So everybody wins, in a sense. Exactly. And everyone that supports us on Patreon helps us do something that we love and are passionate about every single week. And I appreciate that immensely. So thank you to all of our patrons that have stuck with us. And thank you to you listening that are just now considering clicking subscribe. Do it. I'll love you forever. This week on the show, we're covering beers from Humble Forger, which is a distribution brewery out of, uh, well, they're brewing out of Octopi Brewing in Wanakee, Wisconsin for their larger uh, brewery. We'll talk about this in a minute, but Forager, brewery, uh, Forager Brewing out of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, and before we get into what all of those words strung together mean, Johnny, would you give me sort of their mission statement and background from their website? Humble Forager Ales represents stimulating, thought-provoking flavors and aromas from around the world. We offer the following three styles of ales, which each bring a unique flavor profile and rotating cast of ingredients throughout the seasons. Yes, indeed. They they essentially brew three styles of beer, two of which we're covering today. One is a sour and, and one is an imperial stout, and they both come from rotating series that they do. Um, What's the third? Uh, uh, hazy IPAs, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I was going to say, you can't just tease us <laughs> like true. that. Um, so, so Humble Forager is, like we said, it's a distribution brewery for a larger company called Forager Brewing, and or Forager Brewery. I actually don't know which one it is. I hope I didn't write it down, but I hope one of those is right. Um, we've covered some Minnesota breweries in the past on the show, including Octopi out of Wanakee, Wisconsin, and, um, you know, there's more. Uh, Wild Mind is from the area, and I believe Surly is also in Minnesota. Um and I've through through the course of kind of preparing for today, I've learned some interesting things about Minnesota beer distribution law, and I don't want to get too tied up in the historical weeds here, but I do feel like it's important. Um, so if I could just take us back in our little historical time machine, uh, take us back to 1919, 
this dude we all know named Andrew Volstead. He introduced a bill called H.R. 6810, which later became known as the Prohibition Act. Yes, this became uh, basically a way to carry out the 18th Amendment, which stopped everybody in America from making, selling, drinking, whatever. Intoxicating liquor, I believe the cutoff was like a half percent of alcohol or more. Then we fast forward to 1933, we passed the 21st Amendment, which then government's like, you know what, this isn't our job. Y'all can figure out on a state basis what you want to do for your beers. Uh, slowly but surely, because we are a nation of drinkers, people start lifting regulations and making alcohol available and brewing it. Cut to 1957, Minnesota, very much behind the ball here. A lot of dry counties, and they decide to pass what they call the city option. So the cities can now determine the legality of making alcohol. Breweries start doing their own thing all around the world. And then we get to 2011. This is like big breweries are doing real good at this point. This is a decade ago. Everyone's, uh, everyone's making beer, drinking beer. Sierra Nevada has been around for a couple of decades. And in Minnesota, there are still a ton of rules prohibiting serving beer on site. The other hiccup is that they can't really sell beer in any way they want. Like the 16 ounce cans are not allowed. They can sell in growlers and crowlers, but that's it. Um, which is incredibly tough. And the owner of Surly, Omar Ansari, with the help of a bunch of people, pushed a bill through that allowed serving beer on site. But, and thank you for bearing with me. I know this is a lot of information. I do think it's important. Um, this is fascinating. What are you talking about? This is uh, this is beer history. I'm, I'm okay. fully engaged here. So there's another breakthrough that happens uh, in 2017. And this seems insane because this is like we were recording this podcast when this happened. Minnesota, as a state, lifts its more than 100-year-old ban on Sunday liquor sales. So we're moving in Holy the right shit. direction. Isn't that nuts? Wow, that's crazy. Still, as of November in 2019, Minnesota is still the last state observing a lot of these Prohibition-era laws that restrict uh, grocery stores, convenience stores, uh, to selling basically uh, Utah-level, 3.2% beers. Um, and that becomes an issue because like, most craft breweries are not making that kind of beer. So you get something like... Uh, forager brewing and then who, who's in Minnesota and they can't sell cans. It's just not allowed. So what they do is come up with humble forager brewing and they stick it in Wisconsin, but they don't have a brewery in Wisconsin. So they hook up with octopi and they're like, Hey, we're going to take our recipes from our place uh, down the road. And we want you to make them here so we can sell them and keep our brewery alive. Don't even bring up the pandemic. This is what spurred a lot of this for a lot of breweries. The point is, um, it's very cool. They worked around the system, um, a very antiquated system, I think, um, and they're making great beer. I don't understand why this is the case, um, but I do think that I would give a hefty middle finger to Andrew Volstead and like the corporations that are keeping craft beer struggling. Like this is super favorable towards like wholesalers, uh, and it just smothers craft beer industries. It sucks. Um, which is a huge bummer. And I've talked so much and I, I feel like I've been uh, building this brewery up in my head now for a few hours and I'm really excited to try our first beer. Um, so Johnny, what, what, what is the first beer that we're going to drink from humble forager anyways? Well, thanks for the history lesson, Max. That you was funny. Yeah. That was very informative. I feel way more informed and also, yeah, terrible, terrible. What a loss. struggle, you know, like they're, yeah. cause, cause they're, they're like, all right, you can't at first, like you can't serve beer on the premises and you basically also can't sell it. Like if you think of a canning line in a brewery, like you can put out like 20 cans in a minute and then take a step sideways and walk yourself over to a crowler machine. If you've ever seen that, you can do like one in a minute if you're good. Like it's mm -hmm. such an obvious 
like uh, not glass ceiling. That seems exclusive. Um, aluminum ceiling, maybe for breweries, like they're not going to be able to survive. And you bring in the pandemic now where a lot of places can't even serve beer on site. It's like, yeah, they got to do something. So my hat's off mm-hmm. to these guys uh, and they've been doing it for a while, but still. Totally. And also hats off to Octopi Brewing, which we have covered on the show before. Yeah. They make some good beer themselves. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as a, a pilot or gypsy brewery, whatever you want to call it, for other spots, that's, yep. that's a real bro move, totally. Octopi. Yeah. I think we covered their real beer. Uh, I think it was called Plum. And I want to say it was episode 184, so pretty recently, but I can fact check myself. Was that just a guess? That was like such an oddly specific guess. <laughs> I want to say I looked it up when I was prepping these notes, but I'm going to double check because I'm going to feel really good if I was right. I'm keeping count of how many times you say I want to say. Okay. Well, I definitely want to say it was called Plum. Um, let me look it up. Octopi Brewing. I'll tell you right now. Uh, it was episode 185. I was very close. I'm going to take partial credit. All right, it was a good guess because I was like, man, that was a really specific guess. I feel like you looked it up and you're just trying to look humble. <laughs> no, I mean, I looked it up earlier, but, you know, <laughs> still. That's funny. All right. So I'm super hyped on this brewery now that I have that awesome history lesson. Yeah. I just knew it was a brewery that I'd never heard of. Yep. And it's, their beer sounded good, so they were good for the show. Oh, very lastly, um, I did reach out to them t- today, which is, I didn't give them much of a heads up. But we reached out via their Instagram, and they didn't get back to us in time. Um, so probably on on me a little bit there. But I, I hope right. if we do hear from them over the course of, um, you know, before our next episode comes out, I'll be sure to put something in our notes, and we'll talk about it next week. So the first beer we are going to be doing is what they call, on the can, a fruited dessert sour. It's called Coastal Sunset Version 1. It's a 6% fruited dessert sour which is something i've never heard Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see what they say from their website coastal sunset is our line of dessert style fruited sour ales which are inspired by our favorite fruity desserts much like your favorite desserts these flavors will rotate throughout the seasons this version of coastal sunset takes inspiration from our grandma's ambrosia salad Fluffy flavors of citrus, cherries, and pineapple are layered with creamy marshmallow, aromatic vanilla, mild nuttiness, and fresh coconut. Can I jump in? Mm-hmm. This is one of the best things I've ever had. What? This is so good. Have you tried it? Not yet. I've just smelled it just now, and it smells straight up like a pineapple upside down cake almost. It, it's dessert. Yeah, it's this really sort of warm kind of pinkish orange color. It looks, it looks, uh, yeah, like a almost like a like a kettle what? sourwood. Um, it's incredibly sweet, but not overly cloying or anything. And there's a lot of carbonation. It almost drinks like a mimosa. Um, man, that's good. I've only taken a slight sip, but it, it sounds like you've had your first experience as well. Wow. There's a lot going on there. That's a gorgeous beer. Man, that is mouth watering. You know, my first impressions are like a ton of the marshmallowiness. Yeah. And then also like, just a crazy tropical cocktail almost because I have to equate it to something liquid yeah. because I'm drinking it. And it definitely reminds me of like something between a pina colada and, and like a Mai Tai. Yeah. 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 So good. Wow. Yeah. The, the marshmallow I think is a really interesting move. I don't get so much of like, I don't know exactly how to describe the flavor of a marshmallow. I suppose if you haven't had one, you're just out of luck with this analogy, but um, it, it it does have like a lot of the creaminess that I think marshmallow can lend to a beer. Like it really rounds it out in, in a mouthfeel sense. Like it's not, it's not a pointy beer at all, if that makes sense. Yeah, man. Also huh. surprises me at 6%. I, I wouldn't have guessed that high. 
Yeah, it's a little bit higher than I expected, considering when we did Wild Minds, they had these immense flavors mm. packed into this tiny little like four point whatever percent ABV yeah, yeah. that it was just like, this doesn't add up. This makes a bit more sense. This feels like it could be a rum punch. Oh, I, I like, guess that's true if you think of it that way. Yeah. Like this reminds me of like a, a rum. Have you ever had a rum punch? No, I was just or sort of like imagining. But what is it? Okay. Well, it tastes like a lot like this. I yeah. mean, this is um, kind of a conglomeration of, like I said, several different tropical cocktails. Um, this is confusingly good. I know, like, right? Uh, on paper, I thought it was going to be too busy. There's yes. so many adjuncts. I was like, there's no way that all this is going to be good. But I guess in true dessert fashion, they were able to combine all these ingredients into a dish and a finished product that is really cohesive, like surprisingly cohesive for the amount of adjuncts. That is my biggest surprise with this beer that they could pull off. I mean, let's count them together. Sure. We got citrus, cherries, Two, pineapple, three, marshmallows, four, vanilla, five, nuts, yeah, and six, coconut. And seven. Um, man, that's wild. Seven. I wonder how many of those are actual adjuncts rather than flavor tasting notes. Um, I, you know, this is, I, now I'm, we're going to make a, a very concerted effort to, to reach out to these guys and try to get some answers. Cause, uh, this beer is both too interesting and too delicious not to know more about, in my opinion. I, I could just, I, I could just smell this beer for, um, a significant amount of time and not get tired <laughs> of it. It's a very pleasant aroma. I'm, I'm like, I'm giggling at it. Like I'm giggling for how much I enjoy it. <laughs> like I feel, I feel dumb. Like I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is too good. Surely this can't be this tasty. And, and sure enough it is. It almost has a a soda pop quality to it, and it's uh, just blasts of flavor. Mm. Like if if Mountain Dew tried to make an ambrosia salad, like Baja Blast, this is what it would taste like. Yeah, or if like Mountain Dew tried to make a sports drink, but somebody forgot to take out the carbonation, like it's, mm -hmm. it's probably good. And like the intern gets fired, but they keep the product because it was a good idea. Yeah, this definitely has vibes of like a craft soda pop with like really good ingredients just that sweetness it's that sweetness it's super yeah yeah, sweet. yeah yeah totally that's like, wild but i'm not mad but i'm not mad at the sweetness like it it bounces off those tangy notes like i'm just pouring more in my glass right now like this beer don't stand a chance bro. yeah so after after our patrons listen to that that review we talked about at the top of the show um they will know what i'm talking about but in in short i was saying that the the beer that we did from nightmare brewing was like really sweet up front. I bet you if if you could cut off your sensory experience after 20% of a sip from that beer, I might have come out favorably on a bit. It just got too bitter at the end. It was too citrusy and too punchy. And um, this has none of that. Like this is start to finish very uh, balanced and just even keel from – it's just great. It's, it's, it's nonstop. It's consistent. There's no like peaks or valleys in the flavor outside of um, – or maybe not the flavor but the – the drinking experience. There's tons of peaks and valleys in, in the flavors themselves. This is a roller coaster of flavors. But um yeah, the the mouthfeel and the, and the general experience, there's no like there's no potholes that I'm hitting as I drink. No, no, not at all. For me, it's more of a mental hang up, like that I'm not drinking like a, a tangy soda pop. Yeah. Huh. Which is wild. That it, it it reads almost more like a sour, like a tangy soda than a a uh a craft beer, which is wild, man. The complexity of flavor and like you said, the roller coaster. Um, I think a really simple way to say it would be that like this beer is an absolute treat. This is uh wow. This is something that you could just share with another person and maybe 
talk about it over a dinner or something or yeah. after dinner. Yeah. That this is really nice. If I were um, if I were a better man, I, I might share it. I don't think that I would. If I tasted this, I don't think I'm sharing it with anyone. To be honest, yeah. I already told Shalina she could have some. You made uh, a mistake, so I, sir. I do. I did. Well, I'm trying not to get like real drunk. <laughs> yeah, 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 I got you. And with the bonus content we did, we're actually covering three 16 ounce beers tonight. Yeah, yeah. So if you're not a mathematician, that's 48 ounces of beer, uh, which is a lot. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. I didn't. I didn't finish that one either. I I, I am <laughs> going to finish this one because it is that good, which I think is steering us towards the realm of wanting to give this a rating, at least for me. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm there too. Um, uh, is there anything else you want to say about it before you rate it? You know, I, mean, I, I, I think we, yeah. I mean, we spent so much time on on our Patreon content talking about the can art that I really, really hated. That I would be remiss mm-hmm. if I didn't point out how much I love this can art. Like it's yeah. it's somewhere between um, a film that we covered earlier this year called First Cow and maybe a John Steinbeck novel. It's this really gorgeous sort of watercolor looking dock on a big lake that extends most of the can, and then kind of fizzles into a, an autumn leave color sunset at the very top of the can. And just the way that the word coastal is written uh, is very enjoyable to me. It's a very soft, soft looking can. I, it's very approachable, I think. Yeah, very, very pastels, very watercolor. Yeah. There's even an artist's signature um, right mm-hmm. near the barcode. And I don't know what that says at the moment, but I like that that's on there. Yeah, me too. I like so, this can art a lot. That's what I want uh, to say. I was, I was drawn to the can art as well on this one just because of its like simple artistic nature. And also I read the, the description and was like, what? the hell yeah this yeah um i do it probably almost weekly but shout out to andy he recommended this beer for the show and he's like he knows like the parameters of what i'm looking for all the time like crazy breweries i've never heard of or that we haven't had anything new from in a long time that i can get two beers from them that are both new yeah that are both interesting it's a very specific thing i'm after and uh he was pretty pleased to be like dude i got it i got it here check this out and uh, it was perfect. So it was perfect for the show this week. So thanks, Andy, for getting good beer. Yeah, which is to say for any new listeners, Andy is the beer buyer over at SNS Produce, which Johnny, I'm gathering, is where you got our beers for the show today. Um, let's give yes. it a rating, and then I'll ask you how much this thing is going to cost people. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the best sours I've ever had. This beer is tremendous. It is a treat. It is a flurry of oral emotion. Lovely. Uh, it is just dense in the subtlest of ways like dense with flavor but subtle with delivery which is somehow possible with seven adjuncts how can a beer with seven adjuncts be subtle and have like nuance and not just hit you over the head like a 10 pound hammer that to me is amazing so not just the flavor but also the execution of this beer is what rates it so high um for me, this beer is uh, 9.3. 9.3. That's incredible. I still do want to know if it's actually seven adjuncts or if they really were just kind of piecing together ta- together tasting notes. Um, I'm approaching this from an almost unanalytical perspective at this point because I do like it so much. If I were being, um, uh, you know, a little picky, I might complain that I don't get enough coconut. Like I would like more of that, but there is so much flavor here that I don't think that even if I were being that analytical, I would care. That said... I am firing from the emotional hip and I'm throwing out my first 10 of the year, which I know isn't saying too much, but it's the first 10 I've thrown out in quite a while. This beer is amazing. I would love to get it again. Uh, happily drink it all the time. Uh, it's very, very good. I'm I'm so stoked. Congrats to you for having a great pick today, sir. Thanks, man. I, it's like my favorite part of this this job and this podcast is getting to just 
present humble offerings that I found in the world for us to review. And um, that was a nice this nod. Is, humble I've, offerings, I've, sure. Right? I've said it a couple times lately, but this is one of those beers that reminds me why we do this. Just I think the last time I said it was after that. You um, Is it Yuzu? Not Yuzu. Oh, what was you thinking the, of from? Uh, Koji. Yeah, the Koji beer, sure. Yeah, the from Koji Ronin. beer from, from Ronin. Yeah. Um, just surprised like yes. new flavors in my mouth and like new experiences and like beers like this are why we did this in the first place. And it's so amazing to still be experiencing groundbreaking stuff. It's kind of why this podcast is like recession proof. Like as long as there's people innovating and making insane beers, we're going to have a part-time job. So I'm really pleased with it. Thank you for the kudos. Uh, thank you for, making amazing beer humble forager like what the hell yeah i cannot wait to try their second beer uh if people do want to get their hands on this again it's available here in chico at sns johnny what does it cost them per 16 ounce can seven dollars and 59 cents i think it's worth it it's a great beer i think if you're into really if you're into sour beers at all uh don't don't miss this one i can't imagine they have a ton over at sns um just given everything we talked about at the beginning of the show but Go get your hands on it if you can. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. You got anything else on Coastal Sunset version one from Humble Forager, sir? No, I also, yeah, actually, I would say it's not incredibly sour. It's very approachable. Yeah. So even if you're yes. medium into sours or like moderately not so much, still, you just go get it. It's a treat. You'll like it. Trust us. We've done, what, 205 episodes with two beers each. Mm-hmm. That's 410 beers. Mm-hmm. If, I'm a, if I'm a scientist, I'm going to tell you that that's, that's a lot, so... Good sample size. I think we're a trustworthy source. So get your hands on this beer. In a couple minutes, we're going to come back and talk about the newest, um, we'll call it an episode, though it is, I think, more classifiable as a film from Steve McQueen's series, Small Acts. It's an anthology series available on Prime. We're covering today, Lover's Rock. We aren't going to spoil anything from this uh, 68-minute film, but if you haven't seen it, do stick around. We're going to play you a trailer, and we'll talk about it right after that. Enjoy yourself. There's a real understanding of, I think, who we are in these stories, or at least an effort to, and they're human stories. I think people will be touched. I think people will be moved. And most of all, I think people will get to a point where they feel that they've sort of uh, achieved something. There's a real achievement in these films, not in the sense of way of, of what we've done, but in the sense of the way of what these stories are trying to sort of translate, the sense of, an achievement in a way. Again, that was a trailer for Lover's Rock. It is, we'll say an episode for sake of conversation from the anthology series by Steve McQueen called Small Axe. It's on Amazon Prime. It was released uh, in late November of 2020. Johnny Summers, read me the, uh, I actually don't know where I got the synopsis. It's a very short sentence. Just read me that about what this movie's about in a nutshell. A single evening at a house party in 1980s West London sets the scene, developing intertwined relationships against a background of violence, romance, and music. Yeah, again, this was written and directed by Steve McQueen, who uh, probably most famously was the director of 12 Years a Slave. We also covered his film Widows back in 2018. Lover's Rock was co-written by, I hope I get this right, uh, let's say Korsha Newman? Korsha. Korsha, maybe? Korsha, yeah. Um, we, there's a bunch of people in this film, and I think it's maybe a little bit tricky to nail down a bunch of main characters characters good lord so for now i will point out michael ward who plays franklin cooper amara j saint aubin you think that's saint i was gonna ask you Mm -hmm. that yeah Uh, Yeah. as martha and then keter williams sterling as clifton uh johnny release information tell me about it 
Uh, this opened at the New York Film Festival and released on Amazon Prime alongside other entries in the anthology uh, on February 27th, 2020. Like I said, it runs 68 minutes long. Um, this was my pick, sir. There was a bunch of hype around this uh, for, I think, a lot of reasons that we can get into, but per, per okay. usual, um, what did you think and what did you know going in? Well, hold on. We're going to have a bit of a preamble here. There's okay. a couple things I want to clarify, and I have a question. Yeah. Uh, f- to be clear, Steve McQueen is not, not... No. Good call. We need to we need to clarify that for people that aren't familiar with new, younger, blacker Steve McQueen. Fair. Who... I don't... Who is... The, who is the other Steve McQueen? I know there's a person. He, yeah. He was a, an actor. He was, like, the main actor in Bullet. He was a very famous, like, action okay. star. That's right. Okay. Um, yeah. Very famous American actor named Steve McQueen. Isn't there a song? It's like a country song, I think. It's like, like Steve McQueen. I don't know the rest of it, but I think that's who they're talking about. That sounds correct. Yeah. Okay, great. There was a, you had a question also? Uh, yeah. So my question, I mean, you said very briefly that this had a lot of hype. Um, I want a bit more of an exposition on that because I had never heard of this even a little bit. So I want to know how this came onto your radar, where it was hyped, what got you hyped about it, what led to you picking this? Okay. So I'm a longtime fan of the podcast Film Spotting. And every year around this time, they put out their top, uh, I think usually top 10 movies of the year. And they always have a couple of guest hosts on. So there's two of them. And then they usually have two or three other folks on this time because of COVID. They had, I think, a remote thing. So they had two folks um, and they post their lists of their top 10 on their website. And all four of them, critics that I have really learned to respect and identify with um, a few more than others over the years, had this at their number one. So it's just one of those things that I saw. And I was like, well, I'm going to love it. They love it. We've got to cover it. Um, it's also been covered on some other, but like I know Pop Culture Happy Hour covered it. Um and I've been seeing sporadic things pop up in several different kind of film groups that I'm in and people have just had generally high praise. So that's kind of the reason I wanted to, um, yeah, cover it. Okay. So you're super biased. You just assumed that because other, like the critics that you respect, like it, you will like it. You will not just, yeah, it's the critics that I usually sort of align with. Like there's plenty that I also like, but I'm like, I don't, I don't think I agree with you on this. These are ones that I almost always like feel very similarly about certain movies. Okay, so they've got a good average with you as far as similar taste. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. It felt like an it so, felt like a safe a safe bet at least for for my own enjoyment. Okay, interesting. Very cool. I I had zero knowledge of this, and okay. I'm pretty religious about listening to pop culture happy hour, especially now that they're daily and they're only yeah. like 20 minutes long. It's right. delicious. I love that little nugget of a show. Um, but all that to say, I had zero knowledge of this and I went in pretty blind. So um, my overall take was, all right, let's go. Let's get into this. Yeah. Lover's Rock. Yeah. It was um, it was a really long 68 minutes. I'm going to start with that. Sure. It felt... Um, like it started, but then never really got anywhere. I wanted a lot more than I was given. Uh, there was some really cool scenes. There are nice things I can say about it as far as I liked a lot of the cinematography. There was some really cool shots. Yeah. The color palette was really sexy and amazing. And the, um, costume design, all the outfits were fantastic, but I had a lot of problems with this. It Mm. was really slow for something that was this short and it felt to me like there's a fine line between uh artistic 
like dissonance with time and just like letting things run and just like exist. Uh, and there's a line that you walk that borders on one side is is art and the other is just wasting time. And for me in, in something this short, I felt like some of the scenes got a little long and I would have liked to have seen this kind of get somewhere a little bit further as far as character progression, either backstory or even in the current plot that we're existing in, in this party, like more development happening, but there wasn't a lot of dialogue in this movie. I imagine the yeah. script was probably only like three pages long. Yeah. Um, so all in all, it was, it was pretty disappointing for me. I was, I'm pretty cold on it. Uh, I feel like it just didn't do enough to keep me engaged. Uh, and it, it was, it played like a really long music video yes. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was confusing because I we always go into watching stuff to review like movies. And I figured if this was playing like a short film, then usually short films are very uh, economical with their use of time and plot. And this felt really, there was a lot of fat in this, which was surprising for something this short. Um, so I I wanted to know more about these characters and I feel like it teased me and there was these elements of religious rebellion and there was definitely some meta elements and some, some metaphor in the the crucifixes and stuff. So there was a bit of depth to it, but overall I felt that it was very shallow and moved really slow for being so short. And uh, like I said, yeah, I played like a, like a long music video and I was not super crazy about it. So that is my initial take. Max, tell me what you thought when you watched it. It's certainly slow. I I think I'd push back against there being too much fat that could have been trimmed. But I also agree with you that like it's, it's not what I expected either. It does play out like a long music video that focuses mostly on sort of. Yeah, like there's great cinematography, man. Like it opens up with a shot of a train. It's a steady shot. And then like the train you're watching kind of comes and goes and there's a train in the background. And then there's a quick cut to a train being reflected in a window in almost the same position it was in the, in the shot before, which like really triggered me. It's like, okay, like this, I, I'm going to be paying close attention to cinematography. And that didn't let me down. There's a lot of great stuff. I think that the first, um, maybe five or six minutes of this movie does a lot of heavy lifting for telling me what it's about. Like mm-hmm. there's this whole opening sequence of, um, a bunch of people crammed into a house, um, and there's like, there's like three or four women in the kitchen cooking and there's these guys running around moving stuff. And we learned that they're, um, setting up kind of like a record player setup, not totally clear why. Um, and all of those shots are, I think basically actually all the shots in the movie are like medium to really close up shots. There's maybe two wide shots in this entire film, which gives you like not a claustrophobic feeling. Um, but like cozy, like it was clear to me from the, from that opening sequence, like it's a film about, you know, like family and community and tradition. And and there's all these different generations of people that we see up front and everyone is singing or dancing or listening to music. Um, so it was clear that like this was going to be a movie about, at least to me, like how people's experiences with music can affect their lives or, or their the stories they'll tell their kids or, or that their parents have told them. There's a great scene in the beginning where those three women in the kitchen sing a song that comes up later in the movie. It's a song, I think it's called Silly Games, um, which when it happens later is, I think, the strongest scene in the whole thing. There's this really uh, great, great musical moment that happens and we can get into that in a bit. But, you know, I, I really thought, and maybe it was because I was kind of biased and building it up in my head. Like I thought it would 
be a little, a little bit more resonant to me. Mm. And I don't think that it was on that pop culture happy hour interview. It was, I believe Aisha Harris, who was usually kind of one of the, um, well, she's not the host most of the time or the main host. Um, she interviewed somebody who lives, I think in London and was, or maybe his parents were immigrants from, um, I think Trinidad or, or Jamaica or something. And he spoke a lot about sort of the cultural significance of this film, especially with respect to the history of um, black people in British films. Like there's not a lot of it. I'm, I'm no expert on this, but um, they both commented on how, like when, when English people are taught about sort of black culture, it's kind of the Americanized version, which is like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And like, that's it. So from that perspective, I can see how this would have been really nice to like see some different representation in, in British filmmaking. So like, that's, I think really culturally important, but again, like doesn't necessarily speak to me from an American slash kind of uneducated uh, perspective in general, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. I wanted this to, I wanted to feel this movie more and it just didn't give me enough to feel. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot too. I think, I think that some of this is probably going over my head. Like you were kind of alluding to, there's a lot of sort of religious under and overtones and a lot of commentary, like, like you said in the description, like maybe about some, there's some violent stuff, there's racism in it, but it's a little bit different. Cause again, it's not America. So there's a different disgusting flavor to racism around the world. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't know, man, like it's really good. And I think more than anything, more than once I sort of divorced the idea from my brain of this being sort of like a linear plot driven film, it feels more like a snapshot of, um, young Jamaican Londoners lives in like the eighties. And Cause like you see all these different people in this party and like to some extent, you're like, oh, I recognize that character at a party, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that it does a really, really good job of capturing a vibe and a texture. The movie is just incredibly warm and it, like, I get the vibe, um, yeah. but I, at the same time, yeah, I did want more. I was a little bit surprised. Um, so to, to hearken back to my earlier comments, like I, I don't think I fully agree with, I, this definitely isn't my number one movie of the year or anything. Right. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. It didn't lose me or anything. I was by the end kind of like, okay, all right, that's, it's over. All right. Well, I got to think about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I yeah. love the outfits, great fashion. Exactly. Um, I got to be honest. I was in a bad mood by the end of it. Oh, um, wow. When it, yeah. When it ended, I was just like, why? Because uh, it felt like a waste of time. Oh no. I meant you, like you were like, it ended and you were like, Ugh, why? No, yeah, yeah, exactly. It yeah. was more, it was just like that. Okay. That was one way to spend an hour. Like I get it that they're going for capturing the vibe of a party, like one night at a house party and there's the, the yeah. interactions and the things that happen. But like I said, I just, I wanted more. And I think I'm so used to, to watching things critically that have so much more depth of character mm. that the, the surface level entertainment that this provided felt shallow and unfulfilling. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if like, I do totally obviously agree with like, yeah, you want to be invested in characters. The reason I feel like I already was in these is they do feel familiar. Like I know the archetypes and like, I can of course like relate to, you know, meeting a beautiful person on a dance floor and then trying to, you know, get to know them over the course of an evening and then see where that, cause that's the kind of the trajectory of the, I, maybe the two, arguably the two main characters. Um, mm -hmm. so I get that. And I also think it's at least for me, a slippery slope sometimes largely, or at least some in part of like the Hollywood blockbuster machine. Like I I'm trying more and more often to not have expectations of um, certainly plot, but even like what a movie quote unquote movie like has to be like, this is, I don't know if I could step back and be like, yes, something's going to happen with moving picture and sound. 
and go at it from more of sort of uh, an emotional reactionary perspective than, um, I don't know, like checking boxes on a plot paper thing. Like I think it's, I'm trying to open my mind to that. And this works in that framework for me. See, for me, it doesn't because once I realized that there was no like plot per se, and that maybe it was going to be a little bit not as in depth, like I said, I was bummed out by the end and I was just reacting to what happened because I was bummed because it didn't give me more. Like I'm interested. It's like I just watched a painting of a movie and I have to make up stories for everyone that was in this painting in my own imagination. And but that's kind of nice or could be, I, but that's the difference it, between you and I know you didn't like that. And I did. I mean, yeah, because not having any of that, like it feels not lazy, but just like they left stuff out. Like this should have been a whole movie where like it could have been more like, I don't know. It just feels like it was either neutered or oversimplified and it was left to rely on the aesthetics and uh, music and an overall vibe to carry the message of the movie. Uh, and if you just look back, you know, take a step back and, and kind of just get it into the simplest terms, it was it was a movie about feelings sure. and it was about a vibe, like you said, and it portrayed that vibe. But was that experience fulfilling? I mean, that's that's where subjectivity comes into play. And right. for me, it really didn't work. Yeah, coming back. Well, can we can we spoil a couple things? Are you okay with that if we jump to some yeah, spoilers? Let's go. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Okay, spoilers inbound for Lovers Rock. So there's the scene that I mentioned earlier. They're all dancing at this point. The house from the beginning is not uh, well. It is a house, but it's clearly also like a social gathering place for for this community. It's and the club, baby. The DJ is playing a version of that song that the women were singing in the kitchen, uh, "Silly Games." And they turn down the music and then everyone in the room starts singing along and they're dancing Mm -hmm. and it's very intimate and like not necessarily like the most moving from a technically correct musical perspective. Like people aren't great singers. There's a couple that are like, "Mm, you're pretty good and people notice, but mostly it's like this, this overwhelming sense of community that gets established by this one, maybe three minute uh, sequence scene. Yeah. Um, And that is the kind of thing and again, I think I said this minutes ago, but like, I think that's the the, the scene of the movie for sure. Like, I'm going to agree with that pretty hard. That was the only time where I felt moved at all. Yeah. It's going to sound like I'm ripping off the pop culture episode, pop culture happy hour. But I, I thought this while I was watching it, there was a scene in Spike Lee's Black Klansman a couple of years back where, um, Kwame, uh, Kwame Ture was speaking at, um, an event of the, the college students. Uh, I can't remember where the, where that was. It was in Colorado, Colorado Springs, maybe. And, Spike Lee cuts away from the speech and goes to these sort of vignettes of black people's faces. And it's like this moment out of time where he's just like, this is what I want you to appreciate about this scene. And, um, something similar happened. Uh, I should look up the cinematographer here, but there's this focus on these individual people in this massive group that form this community. And like you see them dancing or like there's a lot of uh, patience and, and focus put on people's hands in this sequence. It's, it's just really like, something about pulling the music out and like for the first time, basically in the whole movie, like not having a soundtrack that is played from a, a record or a CD, they don't have CDs, but uh, you know, like a record or um, some other sound source. It's just the people in this community singing as one. And for just a second, like I forgot about the creepy guy that was kind of hovering. I forgot about the mm-hmm. angry kid from the phone booth. Um, I forgot about all the drama. And it was just like, 
this was something special. Steve McQueen knows it and he wants us to know it. And I yeah. knew it in that moment. I think that's a really powerful uh, cinematic tool. Yep. It definitely played. It was almost completely distracting having them sing so bad. Can we just talk about that for a second? Yeah. Uh, is that note, and you're a musician, Oof. we all know this, <laughs> is that note in that song The just, high one? Yeah. It's rough. Is that it's just rough. like hard to hit, or if you hit it right, it just still just sounds kind of wonky? Like, please explain. I don't know that I can. Yeah, like, uh, so I should also caveat, like, I don't like reggae, and this isn't necessarily like your roots reggae stuff, like, it's a, well, this is what you might call lover's rock. Um so like I'm already a little predisposed to like getting kind of tired of like don't check it check like so I get it that song in particular is yeah like there's a high note in the melody maybe we can throw it underneath here I might remember to do that but it's really 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 high note like think not quite mini Ripperton but but up there and like only one person in this whole room can hit it but everybody tries it almost yeah it comes off as like you know, to some extent, some tone deaf pack of wolves trying to howl at the moon and then it comes back and it's good. But, and again, that's part of it. Like you're not a community of great singers, but y'all know this song and it's one yeah. thing that brings you together. So I was fine with it, but it was like, yeah, that's a, that's a note. That's it happened. took me out of the moment momentarily, yes. but I, it definitely didn't ruin it for me. Cause I do agree with you wholeheartedly that, um, that was a great scene that was the scene of the movie of sure. that sense of community and the the unity and just the togetherness that it conveyed was contagious and it was a very heartwarming scene and it probably is the only thing i will actually remember from mm. this movie yeah i think that's that's partially by design i mean that's supposed to certainly be the standout thing also a big nod to the sound designers here because you do sort of you're on a dance floor with a bunch of people yeah. on a wooden floor and like you hear the shuffling of feet underneath mm -hmm. the singing. that was it's just cool really like it's this really tactile puts you in the room, which I think is aided by like the super tight camera shots. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. Really well done. Um, but uh, maybe, yeah, subjectively, potentially not emotionally for everybody. Yeah. And I, I will say also the, one of the only high points for me was the music because I am a, a pretty big reggae fan. It's one of my yeah, okay. favorite. It's up there with genres of music that I enjoy. Uh, it has a time and a place in my life. And, uh, I really love the vibe that it creates. Mm -hmm. Just like I love like cheesy 90s pop music. Like if you're in a bad mood, certain things can cheer you up. Or like, totally. There, there's a time and a place for a lot of different things. And I really, really liked the music in this. Like this is something I would look into possibly getting the soundtrack for. Because it's so much of the origins of reggae. That's like original, like recorded in like the 50s, 60s reggae that inspired a lot of the bands that probably inspired the bands that I listened to. A hundred percent. Yeah, man. So like there's layers to that. And I thought, I think it'd be interesting to kind of peel back the onion and see what's up with like the, the early, maybe even like look into getting some of the old 45s from, yeah. from that era. Yeah. I know like melody records has a big reggae selection. So yeah. I did dig the music in this except for yeah, that one note. The, no, oh. <laughs> no, 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 sir. Except for the song. That gave that guy seizures. Oh, see, I thought that was great too. Although by the time they, they played it the third the time, I was fuck? like, all right, I get it. It was just like, it's like the mellowest reggae song okay. in all of the <laughs> right. reggae songs that they've played so far. And it's like, let's open this pit up. And it made no fucking sense to me. So I couldn't help relating this film to Climax, the Gaspar mm. Noe movie we did a couple years ago. 
Um, yeah. Which means when that started happening, I was like, just briefly, did somebody drop like LSD in this punch or something? Yeah. Like, right. God, I hated Climax. I was, this was miles better than that. Um, oh yeah. But I would watch this three times before I watch Climax I again. Um, but yeah, I also thought that was a weird move, but you know, again, speaks to the subjectivity of the way people express themselves through music. So it gets a pass for me as well. Yeah. I just, I just had to mention it because like, be careful listening to that song. You might just start <laughs> just thrashing about, give your, your wife a black eye. I really, I really liked the dot, not the dialogue um, for the words, but the way that they sound like I like the dialect of whatever hybrid of Jamaican and English accent this was. And there's different degrees cool. of it. There were some that were clearly a little bit uh, that had been in London longer or, or had just come from Jamaica, maybe, or their parents. Like, it's just this weird blend. I had to turn on subtitles. I I, I conceded that like seven minutes in because um, a native Jamaican accent speaking English is already incredibly hard to understand for, I think, uh, California white folks, at least me, um, mm-hmm. which I discovered watching Luke Cage season two. Uh, mm. And then also the Idris Elba film Yardi, which came out a while back. Um I just found it so interesting, like like little, just different ways that people speak because you have like the British thing and then you have one more layer of a whole different culture. It was, I thought that was really, really great. I and mean, then again, like lends really nicely to sort of the overall, yeah, the vibe or the the the, the feeling of the entire movie. Like it, it's a very specific time and place that I think Stephen Queen captured really well. Yeah, exactly. I think it did capture the vibe with that. I will agree. I liked the, uh, I liked the music. I think this whole thing could have been 20 minutes long and done the exact same thing in capturing that vibe, and I would have enjoyed it probably 85% more. Yeah. But that's just me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you got anything else on Lover's Rock? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, also, it made me, yes, it made me want to smoke pot like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was just, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hate this. <laughs> I hate the sound. You know what it is? It's that it reminds me of college, like reggae and weed. I hate mm. the smell of what I pictured that room would smell like. It's just like, this is like a dorm party. Cause, cause yeah. in California in college, like reggae is just pepper and slightly stupid, which is just mm-hmm. a bunch of like pretty well off white dudes singing about smoking weed and their problems. It's like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. And, and surfing and surfing. Of course, pepper. Did I say pepper? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, we did forget to rate this before we hit spoilers. So I guess we might as well do that now. Yeah, that's fine. You go uh, ahead. Uh, you want me to go ahead or do you want to go ahead? No, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to, okay. man, I, I just think here's my final thoughts. I like that. This is very different from something I've seen before. I like the approach. I like capturing a moment in time. And I think if that was the goal, goal achieved, um, again, like not the most classically entertaining film for sure. I think I'll revisit it at some point. It is, you know, just over an hour. Um, I'm going to land on a solid eight. Cause I, I, I really felt nice watching it, but I, I don't think I can go higher and I shouldn't go lower. What about you? I feel like that's incredibly high, but I, I, it is your rating oh, and boy. you're entitled to it. Um, for me, this movie, well, this short snippet, um, yeah, left me flat. All the things I said before, uh-huh. very shallow, uh-huh. very, um, unaffected. Uh, it, yeah, I don't want to crap all over it more than I already have. Oh no, uh, I definitely there were there were good things about it, but yeah, this is like a two point four for me. Yeah, I was having between a two and a three. So yeah, you know, again, not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I think we're probably good to put it to bed. I am gonna go over the course of the next couple of weeks and probably watch the other installments in this anthology. Some of them are are quite a bit longer. There's a couple that are full feature length. Um, and they're not all about this necessarily. Um. Some are more plot driven. So I would encourage you to check them out too, man. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
which is a nice segue uh, to saying if you guys have seen Lovers Rock or any of the Small Axe series uh, episodes, let us know what you think. We are going to jump to a break. And when we come back, we'll get into beer number two. So don't you dare change this podcast. Uh, We really want you to stick around. If you are exhausted and hungry and thirsty from dancing your pants off all night at a sick-ass reggae house party, check out The Handlebar right here in Chico. They're a local craft beer bar and restaurant, and they have a happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. where you can get a dollar off every single delicious craft beer they have on tap. Johnny Summers, where is The Handlebar? They are at 2070 East 20th Street across the way from Best Buy and across the parking lot from Tong Fong Lo. They're a fantastic place, and they've got a great patio and some delicious food. I love their food. You should go check them out. Great place to nurse a hangover or start one. Nice. Yeah, once again, go down to the handlebar whenever you'd like. But if you want to save a dollar on every craft beer, go down during their happy hour, seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. Handlebar Chico, 2070 East 20th Street. Welcome back from the break. We are diving headfirst into beer number two from Humble Forager. It's called Sugar Shack Diaries. It's a dessert stout. It's 12%. It's got a super cool can as well. No surprises there, probably. Johnny Summers, first tell me what uh, they have on their website about stouts, and then maybe more specifically, what we know about Sugar Shack Diaries. This decadent rotating series of imperial stouts and porters combines your favorite desserts, coffee drinks, and pastries into rich, delicious ales. We source our ingredients for these bold, flavored concoctions from around the globe, creating incredible depths of flavor and richness. Adventure with us on a rotating trip through the culinary world of pastry beers. This beer, in particular, Sugar Shack Diaries, reads as follows, and I keep wanting to call it, so I'm just going to do it, Shiggity Shiggity Sugar Shack Diaries. As you should, man. It's your show. Do it. It's our show. Shiggity Shiggity Sugar Shack. Yeah. (laughs) Makes me so happy. It's so fun to say. Uh, Chocolate and crystal malt sweetness is carefully balanced with roasted malt dryness. A touch of brown sugar and Belgian candy sugar complement the layers of Wisconsin maple syrup. Ecuadorian cocoa nibs, or cacao nibs Mm -hmm. if you're nasty, Mexican (laughs) vanilla beans, and fresh roasted Mostra coffee, which is delicious i hope it's delicious in this i haven't tasted mine yet i've just poured it um but i don't right. think that i've ever had something called a maple mocha stout and that's that's what it says on the can here um well that's fun can we talk for a second about pastry stouts so for as long what as you do want. you like about them max what don't you like about them and what would you like to see in let's say your ideal pastry oh stout? okay i'm glad we're doing this because we actually just you and i talked about oh man if you think of it let me know but we just did a stout and I think it was a lower ABV one as well that wasn't in the vein of pastry stouts. And I think we were both like, yeah, it's kind of a nice refreshing thing to not have something quite so. And here's where I'll start describing pastry stouts. Like, um, usually 
they can be very, very, very sweet. Um, so much to the point that whatever sweet flavors are coming out mask any of kind of like the roastiness and and sort of chocolatey notes that I like in a in a naturally uh, occurring stout, we'll say. Um, so I guess my ideal pastry stout sort of toes the line between being kind of desserty. In this case, like maple should be there. Uh, chocolateiness should be there. Coffee should be there. Vanilla should be there. But not so much of those flavors that I lose everything that makes a traditional stout a stout. What about you? So for me, I want I want sweetness. And I want, for me, the most important thing in a dessert stout is, is probably mouthfeel. Oh, yeah. I want it to be just really thick and viscous and coating and and warm and embracing and i want it to just just have this big body i want it to be sweet it doesn't have to be a sugar bomb that's going to give me the diabetes <laughs> but it needs to be present with sweetness and if it has coffee i want that coffee to punch through the sweetness because coffee is a very strong flavor and especially if you're dropping names of a roaster I should be able to taste the coffee in this beer. Uh, but as a whole, I want a dessert stout or a pastry stout to be sweet, to be uh, not so sweet it's undrinkable because it needs to rely on flavors other than sugar. So sweetness is fine, but overly sweet is unacceptable to me. That's a failure as a pastry stout. I want to taste other things other than just sugar or else I could just drink motor oil with sugar in it. So I want to taste some of the adjuncts. I want it to have some form of balance without just relying on sweetness. That's that's what I want. And with this beer specifically, I want the maple and the, uh, what did I just say? Hello, words are hard, coffee to shine through, especially when you're advertising it as a maple mocha stout. That means you should get maple, you should get chocolate, and you should get coffee. And you should also taste a stout. So there should be roasty notes in here. So I'm going to be looking for like a roasty, sweet, mapley, chocolatey beer. And hopefully it's nice and mouth, nice with mouthfeel. Have you tried Sugar Shack Diaries yet? Yeah. Before I tell you how I feel about it, when I was reading the description as well, Moster Coffee rang a bell. And, and then when you mentioned knowing it, I was like, okay, like surely I've heard of it. So I looked it up. It's in San Diego. And I don't know yeah, when I've do a- had it. They do a bunch of beers with modern times. Sorry, oh, to that's maybe it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think that's great, and I, I just assumed it was maybe closer um, to the middle of the country to be accessible to uh, humble forager here. But I think that it's really neat that they went out of their way um, to get that coffee. Also, good on Mustard Coffee. They're doing great stuff. That um, that breweries are just noticing. Like, hey, can we get some of that? Uh, yeah. So to your question, um, I think it's really good, man. Like all of the stuff you were just listing is definitely here. It's super mapley. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of the coffee thing, but it's still obviously a stout. It's not thin, which is a thing that I forgot to mention that I also really care about in a pastry stout or a stout in general. It's really, really well balanced too. Um, it's worth noting here as we're starting this conversation that I just pulled mine out of the fridge like an amateur and you've had yours out for, uh, what do you think? An hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Since we, before we recorded bonus content, yeah. so yeah, it's been a significant amount of time. So I'm curious to know kind of the differences in what we're picking up and maybe we can get into those specifics in a minute, but what are you getting on your initial impressions? So on the nose, I get a bunch of maple, uh, and I get definitely coffee and dark, dark chocolates, like baking chocolate, like yeah. bitter chocolate that would suck to eat by itself. Um, it smells really robust. When I opened it, I thought, holy shit, is this a double stack with a different label? Because yeah. all I could smell was maple, just like kapow, yeah. huge maple notes. And I tried <laughs> some, and this beer is is really well put together, man. It it marries all of the flavors that it's going for 
and yet it has a nice big mouthfeel, but also this beer feels really light to me for a 12%. It's like yeah. it's got just enough mouthfeel to be present, but it's not so overwhelming with the thickness. Like it's just it's just the right amount of freaky thickness. Yeah, I think that you and I have uh, enough of an established relationship that you could probably handle some betrayal for me. So I will say I like this more and I dare say objectively think this might be better than Double Stack. Hmm. Well, Double Stack's a one-trick pony. It's super yes. one-dimensional. Right. It's just a maple bomb. So, it's I mean, super good, but if, yeah, it's yeah, like you're saying, yes. If you add any level of nuance to a beer, it's going to it's going to eclipse that. Um man, yeah, I'm 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 right with you on on everything you're saying. Like it it is really nice. I'm not getting too much that I don't like. There's a tiny bit of kind of like that, like over roasted, almost charcoaly kind of thing on the very, very back end. If I'm being real nitpicky, but it's not off putting necessarily. I think if you're drinking it and you're not really trying to pick it apart, I don't even know that it would have occurred to me. Honestly, that's probably from the malt bill. Yeah, probably. Because like the chocolate malts and then, uh, they mentioned roasted malt dryness. Yeah, for sure. Like the roasted malt gives it that really like burnt, like if you have too much of that malt profile, it gives your beer an acrid flavor that yeah. is just really off-putting. Um, but this doesn't even come close to towing that line. I think this is very nicely balanced, uh, surprisingly so. Again, for like having so much going on, and I've had so many dessert stouts that just become imbalanced yes. and overly sweet or overly vanilla. And there is a note of vanilla in this, but it really just lifts up the coffee and chocolate. Okay. Yeah, I feel like the 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 cocoa nibs are what benefit the most from the vanilla beans because those two in unison create a really nice flavor. Like without the vanilla, I feel the bitterness of the cocoa nibs would have really taken over and married with the coffee and made this beer really dry and like really bitter. So that vanilla really shines through and works with the the maple syrup to add a, a sweet brightness to this beer that really just smooths out the rough edges of the bitterness of the coffee and the cocoa nibs. So I'm liking this and I'm liking, liking how light it drinks. It's scary for a 12% beer to drink this light. It absolutely is. I was going to say something similar about the vanilla, but with respect to the maltiness and even maybe the coffee, like it's not overtly vanilla tasting, but I do think the vanilla is doing some heavy lifting or rather uh, maybe heavy smothering of some of those bitter notes that you might get from a really roasty malt or, or a coffee bean, even like, I think it's smashing down those sort of pointy edges and is making way for that maple syrup to not sort of be in a tug of war with those flavors. And again, like it's very slight for me where, where some of that bitterness and, and charcoaly flavors are coming through at the end. But, um, yeah, it's, it's almost like, yeah, the, the vanilla beans are like the little sidekick that's allowing the rest of the superhero in this beer to kind of do its job properly, you know? Mm-hmm. hundred percent super, super like it, man. I think this is really good. I'm, I'm, I, at this point, not surprised. I feel like the, the first beer, the, uh, the coastal sunset was so good. Like I didn't imagine that this second beer could have been anything, but pretty good. I don't know that I was imagining it would have been as good as I think it is, but I'm not surprised that it's tasty. Yeah, I'm not either. I think that they established a, a precedent of, of really good craftsmanship in the first beer. Uh, so that I was looking forward to this second beer, and it definitely didn't disappoint. I feel it's right in league with the quality and drinkability of the first beer. I don't know if it rates as high for me, though. Yeah, um, yeah. It's tough. It's going to be tough to top that one. Well, you can't top it. <laughs> I can't it. top it, yeah. Um, but for me, it would be hard to get past mm -hmm. it. Um, my gripes with this beer is that um, it's not that it's not well done. It's just that it's been done. Totally. 
I think it's just they're kind of fitting into a mold of like, hey, we need to put out a, a dessert style. Yeah, yeah. Maple, coffee, chocolate, People love vanilla. It. Yeah, yeah. People love it. Like it's a very uh cookie cutter mold that I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a good cookie. Screw- it's a good cookie. Totally. And it's a cookie that's been screwed up by some really good breweries. Yep. So to not screw it up is a feather in your cap. But also it definitely feels done. Um to say that it's it's derivative would be insulting, but just that it, it fits the industry standard of what you would expect from this in an above average way. I don't think it's it's breathtakingly unique like the first beer, mm-hmm. but it is absolutely above average for this style, and I think it should not be missed. But for me, it doesn't fall into the nines. I think this beer falls somewhere in like the like probably the like seven point nine range. Okay, I could have sworn you would have gotten to an eight, but okay, seven point nine. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't travel through this beer. That's right. kind of like yeah, that's I that's the so. hard line yeah. in the sand, and and this dessert stout style. Like for me, I love this beer. I could just as easily reach for a bacon and eggs. Yeah, the, that totally. beautiful coffee. And it, given it is a porter, sure. But that's still one of the best dark beers I've ever had in my life. That's uh, available. Pizza port. Pizza port. Yeah, it's a it's a breakfast porter. Uh, but still, convince me that that's not a breakfast stout. I yeah, dare you. Right. Um. So just based on uh, availability of comparable beers, this can't get into the eights for me. But that's not to say that it isn't world class. I think it definitely is, and it's it's a fantastic representation of this style, and I think it's done very well. Yeah, I think that's the trouble with beers like Coastal Sunset or or like the Koji beer from Ronin. It does sort of raise the bar that, that you thought was like, I thought we were at the, the top. And it's like, nope, there's a whole nother level of, it sounds like for both of us, uniqueness and sort of um, intrigue. And something were like, I didn't know that there was more that I had not yet tasted or there was like more uniqueness. And then, so yeah, while I agree with you, this is a top notch dessert maple coffee stout. Like it's a maple coffee, a maple mocha stout, but still like, yeah, I've had this before, sometimes a little bit better, sometimes more often a lot worse. So I think it's really mm-hmm. good. Um, and I'm actually going to jump quite a bit higher than you. It turns out I'm gonna give it a nine. Anything above a nine for me kind of enters that realm of new experiences, but a nine is like. I think my ceiling for what you can do with the style that I'm familiar with. I think it's really good. The, yeah. The, you could call this beer a benchmark for the, the style of dessert stouts. Yeah. 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 Um, Excellent. Again, you got this at SNS. Might as well review yep. how much it cost. Uh, nine ninety nine. Yeah. It's expensive. It's a, but it's a proper 12% stout. So I think it's on par with, um, I don't know exactly what the industry standard would be or like the, what the, what the comparable stouts prairie comes to mind as always kind of yeah. hovering around 10 bucks for a lot of their, their bomb series stuff. Yeah. Or like, sometimes more for the barrel age stuff. So yeah. yeah. Or like, um, Firestones now that they've done the smaller bottles, like some of their, um, I don't know. What's one of their stouts like parabola. I think the small bottles yeah. are around 10 bucks. So I think this feels about right. And I think this is as good as those. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this is as good as 90% of the, the dessert stouts that are out there. So, and the coffee has a really nice presence. I will say that. Agreed. That's the last thing I'm probably going to say about it, that most of your coffee is really good, and it shines through in this. So, man, good beers this week. Not to toot my own horn, but <laughs> gosh darn it, toot toot. Yeah, all right. We've been talking about Humble Forager. Our first beer was Coastal Sunset version one. The second one was Sugar Shack Diaries. We found them at SNS. Get them wherever you'd like, but let us know what you think when you do. Both of these beers, we highly encourage you to try. In the meantime, Johnny Summers, you want to tell me what's got you hot and bothered this week? No, I love this part of the show. Hi, 
So I've been listening to a new album. Shocking. I know. Yeah. Um, I've honestly really enjoyed holding myself to the standard because it makes me listen to something new every single week. Uh, I've gotten to a point in my life where like I feel a little jaded and that like new music just sucks. So it's really fun getting into new bands and stuff like that. So I have been listening to this band called Bones UK. They are a duo band, rock band from, you guessed it, the UK. Sure. Um, they are two badass chicks, and they both play guitar, and their music is a conglomeration of, like, if Marilyn Manson had a baby with, like, the kidney thieves and um, maybe a little bit of, like, uh, The Cure and, like, all kinds of just weird synth pop mixed with some, like, industrial. There's some, like very heavy industrial overtones on some of their songs, particularly in like the song beautiful is boring. It's very just driving and thumpy and stompy. Um, Wait, because there's a chance that other people like me, uh, we're not following all of the words you said in that sentence. Do you think they might benefit <laughs> from hearing some of what you're, what did you say? It was called the song. Uh, beautiful is boring. Nah, is good. Beautiful is boring is good. Um, there's a pretty f- waste is a really good one. There's a few good songs. Well, you tell me what you'd like me to play underneath your voice, uh, and I will play it. You play like the first thirty seconds of "Beautiful Is Boring." Done. Okay. Would you like it by itself, or do you want to talk while it's happening? Ah, uh, we can talk while it's happening. Right. Then so it's, it's just got this th- this thumpy vibe, and also there's uh, a song that they put out called "Girls Can't Play Guitar," and. Um, it's just such a middle finger to kind of toxic irony. Yeah. Yeah. Just a middle finger to toxic masculinity. Like this band has just like big, powerful female energy and it's so awesome. Like it could very easily be intimidating, but it, for me, I just, I like eat it up. I dig that big, aggressive female energy. There's like a little bit of like almost like a queer energy to it, which yeah. is kind of fun and different. Um, it's totally different from a lot of stuff that I listen to, but also totally not because of just like who I can hear they're influenced by. Like a ton of like mid nineties, Marilyn Manson, like a ton of stuff that I listened to growing up as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also one of my favorite songs of theirs is a cover of I'm afraid of Americans, uh, by David Bowie and, uh, Trent Reznor of nine inch nails. So, uh, I think if you like any of the bands that I just mentioned and you like good, I've been putting this music on while I play Borderlands. Nice. And it's just intensely awesome music to like blow stuff up to. So it almost reminded me of uh, some of their songs and some of the grooves, very like Matrix soundtrack-esque. Oh, cool. So yeah, they're very multifaceted. I think they're a really fun listening experience and I've been super digging them lately. So if any of that sounds good to you, check out Bones UK. Nice, dude. I feel like that's, I mean, it sounds like a lot of high energy stuff, but I just, I don't know. Sometimes when I listen to albums, like it's nice to have a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's right. And we got a coffee date coming soon. Because Wait, what? Y'all, that's <laughs> right. There's a new coffee shop in town that just opened up. And uh, all like all transparency, I am a little bit affiliated with them professionally. Um, but I am a patron of them personally. And I love their coffee. And I love their new establishment. It's purely unbiased. I think it's one of the most beautiful coffee shops I've ever been in. Uh, and it's opening here in downtown Chico. It's called Stobel Coffee. And I just went down there Saturday. It was the very first day that they were open. 
for takeout. They've yeah. been doing deliveries. They had to pivot because they were supposed to open last year and it was right in the middle of all this, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So they've been doing deliveries and roasting beans and delivering them to your door, which is really cool. Just really a display of, of how industry has pivoted and, you know, turned weird corners and done what it's had to do to survive. Uh, it was really inspirational to see them do that as a business that hadn't even opened their doors yet. So it was really cool to get down there. Me and Shalina went out, grabbed a cup of coffee, checked out the building, and then went and walked downtown to the Saturday morning market, got some fresh produce, just had a really nice Saturday morning. Um, so Stobel Coffee, they're open. They're downtown on Broadway, right next to the Bank of America. Yeah, right. So, And you and I are going to have a coffee date there, uh, and I am looking forward to that immensely. And in that coffee date, I'm going to tell you about the new. Wait, 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 show wait, 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 wait. But I could wait. just do it now. Wait, wait, because I want to ask you a funny question. Here it is, Johnny mm. Summers. What do um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the talk show host with the big orange hair, and Hitler all have in common? They're barbarians. Sure, in in German. I don't know what the in German's <laughs> about, but I saw it and I figured I'd throw in Hitler. In German, he was also kind of a barbarian. He was. He was pretty savage. Okay. Yeah. For real. <laughs> Just as a as a blanket statement for our podcast, fuck Hitler. Yeah. yeah. What is yeah, yeah. What, what's what's Barbarians on Netflix? Um, so I'm in between shows right now. I'm actually probably gonna be looking at starting some uh shows on HBO Max since you and I have a subscription to that now for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so if you're listening to this, we're gonna be covering some movies this year that are on there. If you have it, if you don't, maybe that'll consider make you consider getting it. I don't know. Um, but I'm in between shows right now, and I was doing, like, a super, like, dad move. I just Googled, like, what are the best streaming shows right now? Maybe I'll see something I hadn't seen before. Like, maybe something fell through the cracks. I watch a lot of stuff. I don't know. Barbarians popped up. It looked like Vikings. I'm done with Vikings. It right. got really lame. So I'm like, I'm going to try this one. And... uh I checked it out and it is a 2020, it's called a historical drama on Netflix. It's, I did some research and as outlandish as some of the things that happen in it are, a lot of it is very true to history, which I thought was fascinating and actually made me more invested in the show. But it is about the Roman empire trying to conquer what was uh, to become Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all in German. All of the everyone speaks either German or Latin. So heavy subtitles, but it's so cool hearing these people play essentially like barbarians or Vikings or what have you of that time period. Yeah, speaking in native German in like huts about you know raids and things like that. Uh, I really like it. The production value super high. Like it is really high production value. Beautiful visually some really great scenes, great cinematography, like just really fun to look at. Also fun hearing it in a different language and also learning a bit about history. So it's kind of scratching a bus plus it's TV MA. So there's a bunch of violence and crazy shit happening. So it really kind of checks all the boxes. So if you like stuff like that, that falls into that game of Thronesy Vikings type shaped box, you should definitely Check out Barbarians on Netflix uh, and do subs, not dubs. Listen to it in German yeah. and read a little bit. It's a good way to for go. you. Yeah, for sure. They, they make shirts that say subs, not dubs, and I, I really want one. I've seen the ones that say subs, not doms. Ooh. Well, that's that's just... that's. <laughs> 
that's just whatever you're into. Sure, sure. But do it but all I in like German that. is the point. I'll buy you that shirt. You buy me the subs, not dubs shirt. Deal. We'll go out to Stobel for coffee great. together. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Sick. What's got you hot, bothered, aroused, or flaccid? I was, uh, I was, I hate that this has to be my transition now. I was just out of town celebrating my mom's birthday. Um, okay. So uh, it was great. We were gone for a few days. Um, got back. It's, I don't know. I feel like there's some part of me that whenever I get around a family for a long period of time, the family that raised me, not like my extended relatives, like I almost revert to sort of like the high school version of myself a little bit emotionally. Like I'm like more argumentative and less patient. And like, I just feel sort of childish, um, which if you're not used to being that way is very draining for, well, for me, but also probably more so the people that have to deal with that. Anyways, very sort of emotional, but gratifying weekend. And, um, I got back to town yesterday Nice. And I was driving, what is today? I got, maybe I got back to town the day before. Anyways, yesterday I was driving down Cohasset and I passed for what feels like the thousandth time, uh, all the best video, which is now fully closing. They're selling their stock. And I was like, ah, maybe not thinking about this. I was like, I'm certainly not uh, emotionally ready to go into this place that I've been going to for years that I love. Maybe I'll just pop in by myself in this cold rainy day when I'm feeling lonely and I'll see what's, what pops out to me. And <laughs> I'm wearing a mask because like that's, you know, I haven't been in there since the pandemic started. So that felt kind of weird. Um, and after about like 10 minutes, like I, I remember distinctly this feeling of like not being able to catch my breath. Like I almost felt like I, I've never had a proper panic attack, but like I was starting to like have a hard time breathing. Um, mm. I, I got to like the S's in drama and I was like, I think I got to go. And I left and then there were like sirens on the way home because there was this crazy storm in Chico last night and like power was going out everywhere and like there were accidents and I got home and Gianna was at work and I just like, I almost had like a full emotional breakdown. Like, I don't think I've been processing my emotions super well the past couple months mm. um, to the point where I was like spiraling, like, like I haven't been doing music. So like, what does that, what does that make me? Like, what, who am I? If not mm. Max Minardi on stage. And then I was like, I don't even know what I want for my future. Like my mom kept talking about being 60 and how she was almost dead. And like, maybe I'm almost dead. It's hard to say. Um, so I had a good couple of cries by myself, hyperventilated a little bit and then pulled myself up by my emotional bootstraps and sat down in front of a piano. And I worked out a chorus for a song that I really think I like, but I'm not sure nice. yet because it's too new. But and it it was bred from from that kind of emotional maelstrom. Yeah, like I really like the idea of art being able to be sort of this channel for for processing feelings. And and very mm -hmm. rarely do I ever find myself in a situation where I am so incapacitated that I have to use that as the avenue to get myself out of it. Um, so last night, even though I didn't super feel like it, I was like, well, let's give this a shot. Um, so I looped a couple of chords and I was toying around with some melodies and I spent like two and a half hours writing out what ended up being like maybe 45 seconds of actual lyrical music. It's like a chorus and a half basically. Um, and I think it might be good. I'm not sure yet, but maybe. So it felt like at least if, if, if maybe not a great song, at least something to, you know, sharpening a tool of dealing with feelings, which is something I apparently needed. Yeah. That's cool, man. Thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, yeah. it's amazing how music can be a catharsis and creating also is a catharsis because yeah. Maybe like not only is the act of creating cathartic, but also getting back to your identity, like totally. just grounding yourself and like, okay, yeah, this is who I am. This is how I deal with stuff. And this is how I create. And like, yeah, just, just touching base with your own self, like just checking in. Hi, yeah. I'm yeah. still me. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Still yeah. here. And, um, I think this last 12 months 
in particular has been a, a real struggle for myself personally. I can't speak for everyone, sure. but I imagine for a lot of people to to wrestle with that. Like I feel like on a lot of days that I just get up to go to work to come home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, struggling with identity and and what validates you as a person is is a really interesting puzzle to try to unlock this year. Yeah. Um, and especially you because your 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 personality and your your identity is wrapped up so much in your career and not being able to fulfill either of those has got to leave you feeling a little bit, I don't know, lost. Like I can't imagine what that would feel like. Yeah, it's strange because I don't think that I was aware of how much of it was tied up in that until I didn't, uh, you know, play music as much. I was like, oh, yeah. like, because there is that sort of, yeah, like you feel like you're just like, oh, floating kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Like, where, what do I grab onto at this point? Like, I, that's, I've unconsciously put so much of my identity on the line, not on the line, but like behind this one sort of facet of the entire human experience. It's like, all right. Like, if I had to put it on paper, like, I could probably come up with like four or five things. I was like, well, I guess that's me. If I don't have those things, am I a person? Like there's that sort of irrational feeling, but it's a very real feeling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it, this, this, everything that's going on makes you examine things with a bit more critical lens. And also like uh, you realize some of like the frailty, like if the things that you think you are, are taken away, what's left. Yeah. And that's a scary question to try and answer. Yeah. You know, so much of my, my social life, almost entirely was, was wrapped up in outside of work. Yeah. Let's say my social life was wrapped up almost entirely in the craft beer scene and the mm-hmm. bar scene and the restaurant scene, just yep. having friends that own restaurants and bars and being able to go to those places and interact with my friends that were there. Like so much of my social interaction came from that, that without that, it it's a real empty kind of hollow feeling like, what do I do for fun? Like, well, shit, that can't be all right, that I do right? for fun. Like, that can't be who I am. Like, my whole fulfillment as a human being can't come from going to a bar and getting beers with my friends. That's really shallow, and I don't think that's who I want to be. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I don't think that's who I am. But looking at that makes you ask the hard question of, well, shit, okay, if that's not an option and you know that that's not all that defines you, well, then who are you? Yeah. And ugh, that's a scary, I don't want to answer that question. That makes me want to take a nap. Yeah. Like, yeah. You ever, you ever, your house ever be so fucked and just messy that you just take a nap? Like I have too much to do. I'm going to sleep. I laid down last night for about two minutes. I was like, I'm just going to lay on this bed <laughs> when I literally like count to four in and out breaths and then get up. And I, I didn't take a full nap, but um, I, you know, that's a thing. Yeah. Just, just like noping out for a minute. Yeah. I think I brought this up all to say, like, I I don't know. I think I've been all these things considered like relatively okay throughout this pandemic, but, um, whatever defines you as a person. And I don't know what this show is to people listening, but if there's ever a moment where you're like, I don't know, I know maybe nobody cares. We do seriously reach out. Times are tough. It's super fucking weird. Um, and I, you know, we, if we're that for you in any context or any con uh any capacity just just let us know we'd love to chat and stuff it's uh it's 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 gonna be better i think is the yeah point. absolutely and in case of emergency uh come over to my house and we'll open some beers on the front porch yeah stop by my place on the way and we can all go over together exactly because yeah sometimes you just need it i mean i've i've had ups and downs i think we all have and yeah it's important to you know we're all taking calculated risks and doing things that we're comfortable with uh 
But when it comes to your mental health, I think it's okay to maybe do something that you wouldn't normally do in a pandemic uh, to not be depressed. Risk and reward, for sure. Exactly. So, man, I appreciate you sharing that. That means a lot. I know we don't usually get super personal on the show, but it's nice to every once in a while. I know we get we talk all the time off air, but sure. it's, uh, it's cool, man. That means a lot, and I hopefully... You know, you never know. That could have meant something to somebody. Yeah. I know it meant something to me. Thanks, so buddy. Thanks I appreciate sharing. you listening. Yeah. Um. Okay. So then, very lastly, I think the show, we should start this closing bit by saying, per usual, the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi. Um, next week on the show, if you want to stay current with us, we're going to be covering a new film available on Prime called One Night in Miami. Johnny Summers, do we by chance know what brewery... Oh, is that... Oh, is it, was that Patreon you were talking about? Yes, it was. Sorry. Uh, what brewery we cover next week on the show? Do we know yet? I do not. I have a couple options, uh, but it's not locked down yet. So that's just okay. going to be a surprise. Great. Well, keep up with the film if you want. Again, One Night in Miami. If you would like to help support the show, you can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at Fresh Hop Cinema. If you're strictly a beer person, couldn't care less about the movies, follow us on Untapped. If you're the opposite, follow us on Letterboxd. And if you're feeling saintly and you've got the cost of a cup of coffee to spare once a month, uh, find us on uh, on Patreon. You can support our show. We super appreciate it. Um, I will say we do tend to get way more personal on Patreon. So if you dug that last 15 minutes, join us. It's a, it's a really good time. Good group of people. Johnny, do you have any closing thoughts for this week's episode? No, I love you all. And I can't wait to drink beers with your beautiful faces again. But until that time, this will have to suffice. So thank you for listening. That's Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. We will see you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.